Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. During this time of pandemic, the way we worship has changed out of necessity. Many people are worshiping online, and those who do worship in person are doing so socially distanced. With all this change, we still need to keep our minds and hearts centered in godly worship. In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright examines how God defines worship to think through how we should worship today, even during this unprecedented time. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. As we prepare for the message today, I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 16. The words are not going to be on the screen for you, so you're going to have to get your paper Bibles out or your phone app, however you access the Scriptures. The reason that the words are not on the screen very simply is that by the time Nancy finished her work this week, I was not prepared to uh, tell her what Scripture I was going to use today. Uh, knowing that I was going to be talking about worship and realizing, uh, as I'd mentioned before, that uh, this sermon series is a repeat of something we did four years ago, which I'm sure none of you remember, and if you do remember that, all I can say is, wow, you have a spectacular memory. Um, but I, you know, as I thought about uh, preaching again on, on worship and looking at uh, what I had preached four years ago, it seemed like there was just a lot of noise in my mind, and I was really just trying to discern clearly what God wanted to be said on, on this morning. And uh, where I landed was this uh, passage in Deuteronomy. So I, I feel like we really need to kind of uh, just kind of read through this. And so if you would, read with me in Deuteronomy 16 uh, from verse 1, reading through verse 17. And the context of this, again, is uh, the people of Israel coming out of the wilderness and being ready to go into the promised land. God, through Moses, is speaking to them one last time so that they may, may be prepared to enter into this land of rest that God has promised for them. And it says in Deuteronomy 16, verse 1, Observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd, at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with, with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt." Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of your meat, any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day, remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you, except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt, 
Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all, your, all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in the proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. and We pray, God, by uh, the speaking and uh, the movement of the Holy Spirit that the truth of your word would find a place of lodging within our hearts. I pray, God, for the leading of your spirit so that the words I speak would be words of your truth, that they would be spoken in simplicity, with grace, so that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing, Lord, that we experience now, we give only to you the thanks and the praise in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. It may seem odd of all the things in the Scriptures that we could point to to talk about worship or to use, to, to use the Scriptures to define uh, to words of worship, uh, to go back to the book of Deuteronomy. But I am well convinced that what we need foundationally to understand about worship is found in the Old Testament. I mean, there's plenty in the New Testament that we could read about worship. But friends, God has had a worshiping people for much longer than the last 2,000 years. And what God has set down for his people is important for us to remember. Now, we've gotten into this series to remind ourselves that there are certain things as followers of Jesus Christ that we practice. We intentionally do them because we recognize that in their regular practice, there is a benefit for us. It helps us to, to grow, to be mature, and to be faithful as a follower of Jesus Christ. And one of those things that we do and have done throughout the generations is to gather for worship. And maybe sometimes we forget 
what that experience is supposed to be about and why we do it. And I think looking at this text in, in Deuteronomy 16 really does remind us of what God had laid down for his people when they were ready to go into a promised land with the identity of God's chosen ones. And so there are a few things that I want to lift out of this passage uh, just to remind us about what worship is, really is about foundationally for us. The first one of those things has to do with a phrase that you would have heard repeated several times in that passage that we just read, and it's about assembling together, okay? Now, this is something you've heard before, you know, do not forsake the, 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 the gathering of the brethren like some have done. You've, you've heard this before. But I want you to notice how many times in this passage God mentions a place, okay? And please forgive me, the verse numbers in this Bible that I'm using today are a little hard to pick up, so I may struggle to find them. In verse 2, God says, At the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Again in verse 6, In the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. In verse 7, At the place the Lord your God will choose. In verse 11, At the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. Again, in verse 15, at the place the Lord will choose. Do you get the kind of pattern that's going on here? And then in verse 16, as a summary, at the place he will choose. All of those times, that same kind of wording is just threaded in there. What is it exactly that the, that the Lord is trying to set down? Well, at, the, at, at this point, historically, the people had no concept that Jerusalem would become that worship center for them. But we have to ask ourselves... Was it really about the location? Was it really about the location? And I would contend to you that, that the location itself really was secondary. That the point God was trying to make, more importantly, was that your worship experience is not something that you're going to have just wherever you want to do it. What you're going to do in obedience to me is to assemble. It's not going to be private worship, it's going to be corporate worship. I've used that term several times and sometimes people scratch their head because the term corporate doesn't sound like something you use in church, right? That's a business world term, but corporate simply means those things that we do together, okay? That's what God was establishing, that worship is something that is done when the people get together, and that is essential part of it. If you were to read over in the fourth chapter of the gospel according to John, it would be a very familiar text for us. Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're going north from Judea up through the area called Samaria. And they encounter, if you'll remember, a woman by a well. The disciples had gone off to the nearby town. Jesus is out by the well. The woman comes out in the middle of the day and they have this conversation. She's a Samaritan woman. He's a Jew. And uh, in the midst of that conversation, you can read in verse 20 of that chapter and moving forward, that, that the woman makes this observation to Jesus. She says, uh, you people as Jews say that Jerusalem is the place, the right place to worship, but our ancestors worshipped upon this mountain. And uh, we, we understand pretty clearly that she was meaning Mount Gerizim, which would have been uh, in the area where they were. So, you know, the Samaritans say that you worship on Mount Gerizim. Jews say you worship in Jerusalem. Which one, you know, obviously one or the other has to be right, 
correct? But Jesus' response to her moves the conversation in a different way. He says, woman, I tell you that there is a time coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And then he goes on in the, in the following verses to, to talk about the true worshipers, the ones that the Father is, is looking for, are the people who will worship, quote, in spirit and truth. And so he, he's kind of moving the conversation away from a conversation about being in the right location. Like, like location really wasn't the point of it all. Now, I, to my knowledge, I've never been to Mount Gerizim, although I have been to, to Jerusalem. I can't testify to you personally whether people do or do not worship on Mount Gerizim anymore, but I can assure you people still worship in Jerusalem. And some of those people are Christian. So what Jesus was indicating to her really wasn't that, 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 you know, that like there's a right place and a wrong place. And sometimes we get mixed up in that. But that the point was people were going to gather. And it was that spirit that brings people together in the, in a sense of worship. That was the important thing for God. And so when, when God speaks to his people ready to move into the promised land, in the text of Deuteronomy, it's not so much that he is saying there's going to be a right place and a wrong place. It's the reality that you're going to get together. You're going to come from all the different parts of your land. You're going to travel near and far, and you're going to get together. Because when my people worship, they're going to do it corporately. We, my friends, are among people who have been called to worship corporately. I had a conversation with a gentleman many years ago. Uh, This is a man who who lived, uh, he, he had a beautiful place up on top of a mountain in West Virginia. Um, it was just a beautiful scenery. And, and he had been personally hurt by the congregation where he was serving. I, I knew essentially what had gone on with him. There was no doubt that what had done, had been done against him was not right. He, he should have been hurt by it. But he really had removed himself from the church. And so as I visited with him and his wife and I was having this conversation, he made this statement to me. He said, you know, I can go right out here on my land and I can worship God right here. And I can promise you, if I took you to where he lived, you would be able to stand out and go, yep, you could worship God right here. I mean, the vista is just breathtaking. God's The beauty of God's creation is all around. You could worship God right there. But my response to him, which hopefully came in, in the greatest amount of sincerity and, and, and graciousness, the point of it was, you can worship God anywhere, but you can't worship God by God's design unless you are gathered with God's people. Because that is the way God designed it. And so often we fall into this temptation that, well, I can worship God anywhere. You can worship. You can worship God at home. You can worship God while you're driving down the highway in your car. Don't get too distracted. But God's worship by design, is corporate worship. And we must never forget that. 
I realize standing here in February of 2021 that there should be kind of an asterisk beside of this because we do find ourselves in some unusual circumstances at this present time. And I've had conversations with people. I'm, I'm fully aware and still fully supportive that people are making decisions about their own welfare right now health-wise, and, and I, I honor that. And so with that asterisk being said, and hopefully I don't need to expound on that anymore, the, the overarching truth about God's worship, first of all, is that it's, it's something that's done together. And, and there's a great benefit in gathering with the people. Now that leads on into something else that you observe in this. There are at least three points in here that I find the word celebrate. I hope that your translation of the Bible has it also. In verse 1, God, God's word says, celebrate the Passover. In verse 9, it also says, celebrate the festival of weeks. In verse 13, it says, celebrate the fest festival of tabernacles. You and I very often have celebrations, don't we? If, if we use that term, celebrate, what, what is inherent in that? If we, if we say, I'm celebrating, what, what is, what's included in that? Okay, there's joy, right? I mean, you know, whoop. That didn't sound like there was a lot. So there should be joy, but what else is there? There's people, that's right. I'm still fishing here. There's a place. There's a reason, yes. I knew, I knew I'd get it. I knew I'd get it if I just waited long enough. There's a reason, okay? If, if I said to you, why are you celebrating? And you went, I don't know. I'd think, what? <laughs> but usually we say, I mean, we're celebrating a birthday or we're celebrating an anniversary. We're, we're celebrating the, uh, the, the 14th you know, year since whatever. You know, we, 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 we celebrate something that we want to remember and honor because it is an important part of who we are. And this is exactly what God is saying, that when you gather, your celebration is going to help you do something that, and, and this concept is so important, throughout Scripture to God's people, including those called Christian now, we remember, remember, remember. This congregation, just this past week, you had an 11th anniversary of what? The fire, right? of a time when, when the building that sat right here was burned to the ground almost completely. Okay, I wasn't here. Many of you were. And you'll remember the, those tough days, right? You remember where your hearts were? Um, but I also know that there were those among you who said what? You're going to rebuild. God is with us. God will lead us through this, God is going to bring us back, and we're going to be stronger because of it. And they were right. You see, every local congregation, I mean, they may not have had a fire, but every local congregation has a right to remember. They, they remember particularly who they are. There's a history. And in the same way, that is true throughout history for God's people in Christ. When we gather, it is that call for us to re remember 
who we are, that God has made us a people. God says to his people here in Deuteronomy, in, in uh, verse 1, in the month of Aviv, he brought you out of Egypt. And he goes on a few verses later, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Down in verse 6, on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. In verse 12, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. He's constantly asking them, go back and recall that there was a time in which there, there was something that, that held you together. You had a common identity in that you were all what? You were slaves. You were in bondage. And what did God do? He brought you out. Their common identity was held together in that they had been in bondage and God had set them free. Does that sound strangely familiar to the Christian faith? That every one of us, regardless of your family history, what your walk in life has been, every one of us had this one thing in common, that spiritually we were in bondage to sin. And in Jesus Christ, what does God do? Now, you should say this loudly. He set us free. He has given us life, conquered death, and offered us the glory of his kingdom. Okay? When we worship, every time we worship, we remember who we are because together we have an identity as God's people. This is what the Apostle Peter writes to his church when you read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this very familiar verse where he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of he, him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you hear the identity in that? He is saying, you, you, you're not just some random people. You are people who have been given the best identity that I can give. Chosen, royal, holy, called together. And he goes on in verse 10 and says, For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. I can imagine how, how joyful it must have been to have been among these Israelites who three times a year, at least the adult males, and oftentimes the families would come along as well. We know that by Jesus' own birth account, that there were those times that Mary and, and, and Jesus came with Joseph to go to the pilgrimage feasts. As you travel along the roads, and, and, the, and the closer you get to Jerusalem, the more pilgrims you start to encounter because they're, all, they're coming from different places, but they're all going to the same place, right? And you're singing those psalms of ascents and you're reminding yourselves together over and over again who we are and who we are in God and what God has done for us. And you all come together in that place where together with one voice you shout your praise to God. You remember who you are. Friends, we have an identity in God, in Jesus Christ. When we worship, we remember that. And then lastly, what do we do? We respond. We, there, there's a response in this. Uh, 
from verses 9 and, and 10 moving forward, uh, God says through Moses here something here uh, very interesting. He says, Celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering, and, and don't miss this phrase, in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. He says the same thing again in verses 16 and 17. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must gift, bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. I love the way he wove that in. He didn't say, just bring something. He said, bring something in proportion to what? To what God has, the way that God has blessed you. Which makes you think that when we come to worship, first of all, and you've heard me say, if you've been around here much, you've heard me say this, that worship should cost something. No, I don't mean that we should be charging admission at the door. That is not what I mean. Worship is an act of sacrifice. The people of God historically had, had, had done that with a, a sacrificial system of bringing an animal or, or, or grain or, or something, something that had value to them. They surrendered to God as an act of worship. We don't practice those things necessarily anymore, although we still practice that giving of our money. We call it tithing, offering. But wor worship should always require that we surrender something. But we don't do it as, as a way of just, you know, like it's not like we're paying God off. It's a recognition of what God has done for us. And it really makes us think, how richly have we been blessed by God's presence? How good has God been to us? And I wonder, do we think about those things before we come in? I mean, worship is still described as a sacrifice of praise. The writer of Hebrews uses that language. The praise that we offer comes from within. We give it gladly to God. But it always makes us think why we do it. And the reason we do it is because God has been good to us. God has blessed us richly. And that doesn't mean that we might not be or have been walking through difficult times. Look, Take a look around, okay? I mean, just turn one way or another. Some of you who are sitting in the back, you don't have to work hard because everybody's sitting in front of you. But just imagine, if you will, if your neck doesn't turn very far, there are people sitting all around this room, and there are people watching from homes, and they're worshiping with us. You could look from face to face to face, and you know what you're going to find? What you're, going to, what you're probably going to first observe are, your mind's going to say, oh, these people look like they have it pretty together. You know, they washed their face, they made their hair, they, they put on some nice clothes, they, they look like life's really happening good, you know. But you know what's lying behind that? A whole lot of uh, brokenness and struggle and, and, and junk that's happening in life, tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. And, 
And even in the midst of all of that, the people still gather because we recognize that even in the midst of the trials of our life, God is good and God is faithful. And He does not allow us to go through difficult times without a purpose. He is always working something greater within us. Always. So what do we do? What is worship about? The people of God who have identity together, being together in spirit, that we might respond to God who has been faithful and good in the midst of our life. That's why we worship. Now, is there benefit in that? Sure there is. Sure there is. For one thing, it orients us to leave and to go about our week together. It really does. There's a world out here who, that is trying its best to get our minds oriented in all kinds of other ways. We come together for worship so that God can get our minds clear and straight once again, that we might go out as followers of Jesus Christ for his purpose in the world. We need that. There is great benefit for it. But my fear is that we, we lose that because worship, and, and there is, there, man, there is no shortage of what you can find written about worship and said about worship. It's, it's defined, it's broken down, it's analyzed, it's called one thing or another. And I fear we lose what's fundamental by, by at least a couple of things. Okay, just a couple of observations, and this, and I'm not saying that this is, this is not like foundational truth from Scripture, but this is just personal observation. One of the things that I think causes us to get our minds messed up about worship is that we look at it as if it, uh, it, it shouldn't be a habit. Now, that might come across as a, an unpleasant word, you know. Well, you shouldn't have those habits. Really? Should you not have good habits? I mean, I could contend that. Don't raise your hand. Do you brush your teeth at least twice a day? Or at least once? And if you don't do that, just don't tell me. Flossing is recommended also. Would you consider that a habit? It is for me. It's just, it's kind of built into my day, you know. I don't get excited about it. Man, I can't wait to go brush my teeth again. It's just something I do. Why do I do it? Because I recognize that there is a benefit from it. As parents, we do that for our children, don't we? When, when your child says, oh, I don't want to go brush my teeth, you say, you have to go brush your teeth. Why do we do that as parents? Because we are trying to instill in our children what they don't realize yet, that there is a benefit built into it. We don't say those kinds of things. We don't, we don't put down good habits. I never hear good habits. Well, I shouldn't say never, but seldom do I hear people putting down good habits. And yet, we say these kinds of things about worship. If someone were to say to you, I go, I go to worship every week, you, might, you know what the pushback might be? 
Well, why? I mean, that sounds kind of legalistic to me. I mean, you know, why, why do you think you have to go every week? Why can't you just go whenever you feel like you want to go? Do you treat your other good habits like that? The things that you know benefit you? We, see, we don't. It's, it, it doesn't connect. Now, should I feel like coming to worship? Well, okay, admit it. Not every Sunday morning do you really get up and want to go somewhere, right? But that's part of the sacrifice. Every one of you, even those who are watching at home, you sacrificed something to participate in this time of worship. Because you could be using the time to do something else. You could have slept in. You could get an early start on lunch. You go shopping. <laughs> There's always a sacrifice. And we honor God by saying, it's worth not doing those other things so that I can return this to you, Lord. And if it's a habit, it's a pretty good one. So don't let those signals get you crossed up. That your regular participation in worship is a good thing, even if you do it when you don't necessarily feel like it. And of course, in our culture, the other thing that really gets us mixed up is that we, 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 we fall into this trap of thinking about worship as if it is a product to be consumed. Well, you know, I, I really like that church and that preacher and, and that music program and, you know, because I can, I can tune into them and, and, and it really, you know, it, it, and it's really the response and the way of thinking about it is hardly any different than going to a movie theater for a movie that you want to watch or, or anything else in our consumer society. But you, you look at what God described in Scripture, and there's nothing that depicts worship as if it is a product that is consumed. It is an act of obedience that overflows from the heart of people who recognize that God has called them and claimed them and infused their lives with His goodness. We do it because it is beneficial and it helps us to draw close. And I sure, sure, sure pray that we don't let those things of the world to get our minds mixed up about it. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that throughout the ages you have called your people to worship. And it's with gladness, Lord, that we surrender our hearts to you today. Lord, I pray that as we just consider our practices, uh, the things that we do and uh, the ways that we respond to you in worship, uh, Father, I just pray that you would help us to have clarity about what worship is for you and to you, and that we might be able to do it, Lord, uh, just in a way that honors you. And with a regularity, Father, that benefits us 
by drawing us close to you, infusing us with your goodness, making us strong to be faithful, that we might bring you glory in our walk. We thank you for this time, for calling us, and especially we thank you for Jesus, without whom none of this would be possible or even reasonable. We give you praise and glory, and we do it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.